you would please join with me in prayer as we look at the Word of God. Father, we come today to seek you, to see what you do in a committed servant's life. And yet, Father, even as we would look at it and possibly be discouraged for the joy that was set before him, the Apostle Paul um, pressed on. Father, may this become a passion for us in a time. Uh, Father, may we realize the subtleties that are around us, but Father, also realize that if they hated you, they will hate your representatives. Father, may that thought never go far from our minds. May we not become discouraged. May we rejoice that we are still children of the Most High God. To your praise and glory. Amen. Verse 22, 2 Corinthians 11 through 12, 4. Verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from among false brethren. I have been in labor and in hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all of the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast on what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ He who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the Etriarch under Eretus, the king, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and so escaped his hands. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man... In Christ, who 14 years ago, whether in body, I do not know, or out of body, I do not know. God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. What we're looking at is a section of uh, of the Apostle Paul Defending himself. He's basically saying, these are my credentials for being an apostle. All right. This whole letter, you can see what the battle is. He has reconciled with the Corinthian church and they've kind of gotten back on the right track. But yet he knew that the false were still there and he's dealing with them now point blank. And I mean, this is this is in your face. And he gives, verse 21 says, I am as equal when it comes to a lineage as any of these guys. 
I'm equal. All right. But see, that's not the issue. Because the issue is they were calling themselves superior apostles, super apostles. And he says, I'm more so. Okay. And now let me tell you why it is more so. Remember in chapter three of this letter, they had come with letters of commendation. Look, we have been commended by and then fill in the blank. All right. And when I look through this now, I see the proof of an apostle is the experience of suffering. And that's what we're looking at. Twenty three through twenty seven. Okay, This is Paul's life. People, I, I think there's times we have bought into a lot of the stuff that I hear today. Two men that I admire tremendously have spoken out on Islam. All right. And they finally said. What needs to be said? The Quran is a militant book. The prophet Muhammad was a man of war. And if you look at the Quran, I taught on this right after 9-11. I went through the Quran. I had 356 verses that deal with murdering people. And it wasn't a suggestion. It said, do this for they are infidels. They will corrupt you. And it goes that way over and over and over and over and over again. Islam is not a religion of peace. Now, two men have spoken out now. Okay. One was Dr. MacArthur and the other one was uh, Franklin Graham. They're going to get some press. All right. They're probably going to get a a death sentence too. But uh, the, the thing is, is that you have to understand is that we, we can't just sit around and say, well, love, peace, and tranquility. Listen, they carried our king out on a cross. He was the only righteous man murdered. He was an innocent man. Now, you look around today, well, they're not persecuting us. Oh, really? Really? Take a stand on evolution. Take a stand on abortion. Okay, now you keep your mouth shut. You will not be persecuted. They won't make fun of you. They won't laugh at you. Play your Christian radio stations. Now, normally, you can play the music stations. And everybody's kumbaya and we're all friends, love and tranquility. Okay, put some teaching on. Get you a, 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 a pastor who's, I don't even care if he's a heretic. Put him on there and have someone come in and hear what you're listening to, what happens. Okay? I don't, and it goes that way all the time. All that way all the time. People make fun of me right now that say, well, Terry, you seem like you're educated. How can you believe in a young earth? I said, I don't have as much faith as you have. And that always freaks them out. <laughs> what? You ain't telling me you're blowing up stuff and getting organization. I just don't have that much faith. Okay, I've blown up stuff before. It just doesn't seem to become more organized when I do it. Okay? So, I mean, so you just... Uh, if you think that it's not hostile, it may be the fact that you are like an Alaskan river froze over at the mouth. 
All right. And you just don't say nothing. You don't take a stand. And, and you don't have to go looking for a fight. It is always out there. I look through this and I see the Apostle Paul's life. The other thing that I look at, this is first century church. This is when she's the most vulnerable. This is when she's going to catch the most heat. Although if you're really honest with history, never has the church had a, a, a period of non-persecution ever. All right, since Pentecost. Paul in verse 23 says, I more so in far more labors. The word labors there is kapios. Okay, and it literally means to sweat to the point of exhaustion. Kapios. I have worked a lot harder in a lot more difficult situations. See, listen, one of the things I've learned about false teachers that is consistent throughout time. I mean, whether you want to go back to Balaam, they don't want to do anything hard. Okay, they don't want anything that is difficult. They want to be rich at others expenses. They want a life of ease. And if you look at them, they don't really have room for uh, difficult situations. Okay? And, and they definitely ain't suffering. They're not going to do something to suffer. Because when uh, the socialism collapsed in the former Soviet Union, all the churches rushed in across the board. All right? Including the health, wealth, and prosperity people. The problem is they were going to Russia. There is no wealth. There is no wealth. There is no prosperity. And I don't care how much you talk about it. It ain't there. And if they thought that they could milk money out of the Russian people, there wasn't any money to be had. Okay. So you know what happened? Very short ministries. That and a few riots broke out. All right. Listen, Satan will not attack the false, because uh, as a great Marxist once said, these are the useful idiots. Okay? They're doing my bidding and they don't know it. So why would I bother them? Something to remember in this life that I, that, that I hope will encourage you. Because I've had some people talk to me and said, man, this is sort of depressing. You know, it's just, you know, I'm just out here suffering. Well, yeah, you should be. But there's something you need to remember in this life. God doesn't do all of his judgment on the kingdom of darkness that is due them. Okay? Hasn't been done. All right? That kingdom does extraordinarily well in our society right now. All right? Basically, if you look at it, that kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, is taking over and has taken over, for the most part, our culture, our society. All right? And, and if you really look at it, it didn't take a lot of effort. All right? Why would it be at the end times that people will heap to themselves teachers that tickle their ears? Why is that? See, um, I see all over, even here in Castle Rock, that the true church has to fight for its very existence. 
because they will shine a light in the darkness. Okay, this is not the time that God is assaulting the kingdom of darkness. That's coming. Okay, when he steps down on the Mount of Olives, that's Katie bar the door. In the Valley of Megiddo, the blood will run for four furlongs the depth of the reins of a horse. That's a lot of blood. All right. That is when God assaults the kingdom of darkness. Right now, truthfully, the kingdom of darkness is assaulting God. And it kind of takes time, turns. Sometimes he'll attack the person of God. Sometimes he attacks the person of Christ. Sometimes he attacks the person of the Holy Spirit. And he moves it around. He's very flexible and equal in his harassment. That's why if you are true to this book, you will find your work difficult. And if you are true to this book, you will note that Satan's work is really easy. Look around right now. Okay? And think about the people that you have seen in this congregation who were all fired up at different times that are now gone. I'm, I'm dealing with a couple right now who uh, are wanting to do divorce. And they were with us for years. And were involved in doing this and doing that and doing this. And they said that they were going to go on to another place. And I said, are you sure about it? And they said, well, we've been praying about it. And I said, I didn't ask you if you've been praying about it. Are you sure about it? Oh, yes. And their whole lives blew up. Really? What happened? The unregenerate. Okay. I'm not talking about the people who walked the aisle and said the prayer. In a, there are a bunch of the, not everybody talking about heaven's going. All right. The unregenerate. One of the things that I've seen in my 35, almost 40 years of walking with Christ is that they fall into place easily. They are distracted simply. It doesn't take a major task to cause them to stumble. Okay, a, a little shining bubble, bobble. Look, shiny. And good. Okay. The false flourish in this society. And the reason is, if you look at the church, in, just, just take the Castle Rock area. Look at the church in the Castle Rock area right now, and you will see that she is about an inch deep and about a mile wide. And there's nothing there to stand on. And listen, that allows the false to grow exponentially. And they can succeed as great, successful fat cats. And that's just the way I look at it right now. Those who confront the darkness, those who would give their life for the sake of the gospel, those will pay the price. Those will pay the price. You know, the common in, in Castle Rock now, the, they got a pastor's package. 
I was just too early. I want a pastor's package. Okay? You get a week off a month. You sound like Congress. Okay? You get a week off a month. And then you should get a month's sabbatical a year. Well, when is it you work? Okay? And, and that's the norm. And a lot of these guys are pushing six figure. So I said, sounds like Congress. Except you don't get voted in. Well, maybe you do. But you see what I'm trying to get at? You sit there and you go, how, how's come you get so much time off? Well, our work is intense. You teach once a week. Once a week? And it's intense? No. That, there's something. How does that line up with the Apostle Paul? Going from house to house, day and night. Those who would hold dear and be workers approved, rightly dividing truth, will know hostility. We know that those who endure will be rewarded. And part of that reward that I look forward to is the absence of hostility. And forever the false and the ungodly will be rewarded with the fury of God. Forever and ever. Verse 23. Far more labors, far more imprisonments. Labors are far more harder work. Far more imprisonments. See, if you are fighting against the kingdom of darkness, then your labor is going to be exhausting. Because where do you go to get away from the kingdom of darkness? All right. I just read an article during the Sunday school hour where it was evangelical Christians who got President Obama elected in 2012. 6.4 million evangelicals voted for him. He won by 3 million. Do the math. How do you do that? How in the world do you do that? Okay. I can, now see, you can look at it and say, what's the matter with Christians? Uh Uh-uh. What's the matter with the pulpit? Why isn't the pulpit dealing with the issues of God's righteousness and man's depravity? I remember uh, last year at Cowboy Camp, I preached out of the book of Romans, and I dealt, the first thing you have to deal with is the doctrine of sin. And I had this kid that was probably 16, 15, 16 years old, was furious, cussing me, and I mean very vocal about it in the, in the, in the tent. And I'm sitting there going, wow, cool. <laughs> I was successful tonight. Okay. And I, you know, cause usually if you talk, deal with the doctrine of God's sovereignty. Okay. Predestination. Okay. The predetermined will of God. That usually gets people's fur up. Okay. But to deal with the doctrine of sin, it's really straightforward and you kind of have to look around and say, hell, really? Is this really something to argue? But he was excruciatingly angry. And, uh, and it, was, <laughs> it was kind of funny. So, but anyway, you said, it's funny when you can usually say, this one here will make people mad, this one won't. And it was backwards. Paul says that those who would labor for the Lord will work harder. Then he makes the statements: far more imprisonment. Listen, 
Acts only gives us a record of one that is in detail, an imprisonment. It was in Acts 16. Paul and Silas had shared with some ladies who were down washing their clothes. And a church was born. And the the people kind of cop an attitude, to say the least. It says, the crowd rose up, 16 verse 22 and following, crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them beaten with rods. Now make a note about that right there, because I want you to remember something. This is not Jewish anger against the Apostle Paul. This is Gentile anger against the Apostle Paul. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. You spread their legs as far as you can get them and you lock them down. So that's where they have to sit. Okay. After you had beaten them. Acts 20 tells me that he was jailed in, put in chains in Jerusalem. In a riot in the temple. And the Romans had their hands full. Because the the city was trying to explode. And what should we do with this guy? And uh, they escorted him down to Caesarea. Down by the seacoast. Put him in one of Herod's palaces. He was kept there for some time. But we don't know all the details. Okay. We know that at the end of the book of Acts. He was imprisoned in Rome. Okay, that is not the second imprisonment. That's the first. He would have been similar to a house arrest other than the fact that he was chained to a Roman soldier's 24 hours a day. He had a little bit more freedom. He could kind of get out and move around as long as the Roman soldier was willing to go walk around with him. He was imprisoned another time in Rome. And during that imprisonment, he had his head removed. All right. So twice in Rome, once in Caesarea, once in Jerusalem, and once in Philippi. We don't know how many more. He said many imprisonments. In A.D. 96, a precious saint named Clement said that the Apostle Paul was imprisoned seven times. Now, very possibly Clement knew this because the Apostle John would have still been alive. So he would have had some, a little more intimate detail. It's early enough that we can say it's a pretty good idea. But we do know that he was imprisoned often. And he was always imprisoned for the cause of Christ. And it was always because he was publicly preaching the gospel. He goes on to say, He was beaten without number. He couldn't count the number of times that he was beaten. The t- thing that you see here in, in Acts 16, 22, 23, 24. When you see this word beaten with rods, know that that is a Roman punishment. And uh, you would know it technically. Closest thing that you could understand it as is remember when the kid was caned. All right. That is the essence of being beaten with rods. They would take a bundle of limbs, tie them all together and beat you ragged with them. Okay, but it was a Roman punishment. So anytime you see the Apostle Paul being beaten with rods, you can know it's Gentiles doing it. 
That is not what the Jews did. All right? Beaten so many times that he couldn't count them. Fascinating. Because he's still using this to prove that he is an apostle. This is a credentials of my apostleship without numbers and often in the danger of death. When you look at the book of Acts, you need to understand it is very selective in its summary of the lives of the two main apostles would be Peter and Paul. But you see some of the works of Timothy. You see Silas involved, Barnabas involved, John Mark involved. But it's basically what the the Holy Spirit would be doing. Paul suffered incredibly, people. Please understand this. All right. At the end of verse 23, he says, often in danger of death every day. In 1 Corinthians 15. All right. That's the resurrection text. Verse 31. He says, I die daily. And I read this every once in a while and you'll get a commentator. And he's speaking of the spiritual battle that a Christian endures when the Holy Spirit is trying to take up possession completely of his conscience and all the rest of it. That is not what the Apostle Paul is talking of here. Okay. Because a lot of times they'll say, well, you know, I'm just dying to self. That ain't what Paul is talking about. Paul lived... Though his death was going to be every day. He didn't know when it was. He'd get up in the morning. This could be the last one. Because he knew that every day the Lord may call him home. And listen, if, if you know you're going to die, you anticipate that reality. You live through that death every day. It is a mental thing. Some would say, well, you resign yourself to it. Some people do. I don't think that's what the Apostle Paul was doing. Paul lived through the possibility of his death every day. Everybody was plotting to kill the Apostle Paul. And it's, I mean, you can go all the way back to Acts 9. He was preaching in Damascus. He had gotten saved on the road to Damascus. The saints were standing in awe going, isn't this the guy who was arresting us? Verse 29 says, the Hellenistic Jews plotted to what? Kill him. Kill him. So you're looking at a man who had a death warrant on his head from day one of his salvation. You can see it in chapter 13, they wanted to kill him. In chapter 14, they wanted to kill him. In chapter 17, they wanted to kill him. In chapter 21, they wanted to kill him. Second half of the book of Acts is, let's kill Paul. That is how he lived his life. Chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, he says, he had the sentence of death on him. Self every day. Every day he knew it might be his last. And yet, you know what? He would preach and riots would start. Riots would start. How insane is that? Perhaps you should change change the way you phrase it. Uh, Perhaps, Paul, you shouldn't be so blunt. Uh, Perhaps, Paul, you should be more inclusive. 
You know, because I remember a pastor one time told me, and I was always amazed at him. Uh, he always told me he was an evangelist, and I, I'm, I'm not sure what he was. He was bold as a billiard bowl. He said that doctrine was to be taught in Sunday school, and you were to save people from the pulpit. And, and I watched this guy preach, and he could get a, an evangelistic message out of any silly text. I mean, I, you're just saying, how in the world did you get that? Okay? But I, I started thinking about that, and I was like, that don't sound right. And, and so if you go cursory view of the scriptures, you realize, that ain't right. But anyway, okay? So I just sat there and I thought, well, Huh? But this is the same guy who was doing 20,000 baptisms a year in uh, Phoenix. The Apostle Paul understood that when you confront the darkness, every day could be your last. And in some cases, I mean, the Alexander the idol maker in Ephesus started a riot and run him out of Ephesus. He was rescued from Damascus in a basket. He faced death in that. And you know what is amazing about the Apostle Paul? He never wavered in his commitment. Okay, it's, it's the proverbial, he wouldn't shut up. He never changed his message. He never veiled the truth. I mean, when he talk, went and talked to great philosophers in Athens, he says, uh, they said, what is it you're teaching that we have not heard? I always love those kind of people. Okay. Because I know it all and I don't know what you're telling me. Okay. And he says, I've seen you had an altar to an unknown God. Yes. I know that God. Now that's messing with them. I like that. You don't know him. I do. We're like that. Listen, prosperity, popularity, acceptance that the body of Christ is trying to do today in Castle Rock is usually the mark of compromise. Right? See? The question that I always set and I throw, and you know, and it usually causes indigestion at some of the pastor's prayer times. What must you do to get society to like you? Because you know what? That's what they're doing. I want society to like me. What do you got to do? Compromise. Well, Terry, don't you understand that it is grace and love that Jesus brought? Well, he also said, I came to bring a sword. I come to set father against mother, son against daughter. You know, just, you know, see what I mean? No, man. At some point, truth is going to roll out there and lies don't like it. And the problem that I see, and, and if I hear another person, I'm going to go to jail. Tell me you can't throw the baby out with the bath water. Dude, the baby's drowning. Throw the baby out. 
Do you realize you're dealing with the eternal destiny of things? Get the baby out of the tub, it's drowning. Listen, we should expect the kingdom of darkness to be hostile. Those who hate the truth, those who hate the God of truth, will be hostile to those who are in truth. The Apostle Paul understood this. And you know what? As I read this, now I'm not a theologian, but I do read. It's supposed to get worse. Why is it we think it's supposed to get better? You really believe that we're going to make this a new holy nirvana? You can't do it. It wasn't designed for that. These fat cats, prosperous, popular, accepted because they are a part of the system. When I see church growth plans right now, what I see is compromise. Verse 24, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. All right, now he's going to get a little more specific. Did you know that the Jews didn't have prisons? They didn't have them. You know what? It would be a good system dealing with evilness. I mean, listen, if the crime was serious enough, all right, that that a life was taken maliciously, you died that afternoon. I mean, you didn't go through appeals or nothing. You were found guilty. See ya. Okay. How long did they appeal Jesus' sentence? And you know, know, I hate to break the news to you. You may disagree. That sends an extraordinarily strong message. They will kill me. Bye. And you don't get this elongated whatever it is we got going on. But let me show you. They didn't kill everybody. All right. And God gave them some parameters. One of the parameters comes out of the second law. That would be Deuteronomy. As you prepare to take into this land, this is how you will conduct yourself. Chapter 25 of Deuteronomy. If there is a dispute between men and they go to court and the judges decide their case and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked... Then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, that the judge shall make them lie down and be beaten in the presence of a number of stripes according to his guilt. He may beat him forty times, but no more, so that he does not bear any more stripes than these, and your brother is not degraded in your eyes. Fascinating term in the Hebrew, degraded. You know what it means? Shamed. Why? There is an honor in taking the punishment for your crime. Okay? It is restitution. You could have been, if you stole from somebody, you end up working for them until you pay it off. You heard the bond servant that we always talk about, where the guy will stick it all through his ear because I had stole from him, I had to work for him, but I liked it so much I'm staying. Okay, on the seventh year, you release all your slaves. Same thing. Okay, listen, we, I grew up with this. If you're going to dance to the music, be ready to pay the band. 
All right. We don't do that anymore. So to take the blows, you go on with your life. All right. You do this when we raise our kids. That's biblical. Spare the rod. Spoil the child. Will you hit your children? Not enough. Okay. My grandma used to switch us. You know what that is? My grandma was about that tall. And she still put a welt on your butt. And you make a note of that. Okay. Of course, you go to prison now. But anyway. There is dignity in your punishment. I committed a crime. You go in, you cake your lashes, and you be done. Now, you didn't, listen, if it was a small offense, you probably didn't get 40. Maybe 10. Maybe 5. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's nothing pleasant about it. But I bet it would leave a lasting mark on your memory. Okay? I stole a piece of bubble gum, and they beat me five times. Hmm. You go on. You do your restitution and you go on. In our country, we came up with, we call them penitentiaries. You know where that came from? The Quakers. The Quakers came up with penitentiaries. They believed if people did wicked and broke the law and they sat around for a little while, they would become penitent. And that's why we call them penitentiaries. Well, you know what? It don't work. (laughs) It never has worked. Most of the people that I've seen have gone to the pen, come out worse than when they went in. They never have the opportunity with restitution. And yet it worked very well in ancient Israel. When a crime was committed at the time of the New Testament, the only ones who could execute were the Romans. Right, But in the synagogues, you had a person who was called the master of the synagogue. Two two officials in a synagogue, any given synagogue. One was the chair of the synagogue. Okay, And they had, it was supposed to be the chair of Moses. Remember Jesus talking about it? They want the, the chair of Moses. Why? I am the expert in the law. But you had the master of the synagogue. And he is the one who took care of... I'll call it church discipline. All right. If you read the Mishnah, it's the codification of the Jewish law. All right. The guilty would go to the two pillars in front of the, the, the place of the master of the synagogue. And they would put both of his hands there and you would strip him to his waist, front and back. All right. The master would stand on a stone that was higher than the person who was down with their hands on the poles. So he would actually be looking down on them. When he had a tool, a piece of leather strap that had a handle on one end that the master would hold. And when he whipped you with that, he could get your chest and your back. You got to understand He was a professional at it. All right. He would take the end of this leather strap and cut it in three, usually about six inches strands, 
And he would take those three strands that were out that had been separated from the main strap. And he would soak them in water so they would become thicker. By the Mishnah, one third of the lashes had to be on the chest. Two thirds had to be on the back and shoulders. The Mishnah required that the master of the synagogue could only use one hand, but each hit must be with all of his might. Also, there was a caveat in the Mishnah that if the victim died, the master of the synagogue bore no guilt. They were limited by the Deuteronomy law of 40 lashes, but tradition says that in the heat of punishment, keep it to 39, that way you won't break the law. Matthew chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus says that's how you would beat the prophets. They have an uncanny ability to beat the wrong people. They were beating Paul and the other apostles of Christ. Now, I'm looking at this letter right here. And it says, five times I received 39 lashes. Now, I'm not the brightest mathematician in the room, but that's 195 lashes. Okay. Now, I also need to share with you something. This is early in his ministry. He still has some time. He has 195 lashes going into the writing of Second. Corinthians, so when he writes Galatians in 6.17, I bear on my body the marks of Christ. One third of them are on my chest and two thirds are on my shoulders and back. Paul could look at another believer and say, are you sold out to Christ? Someone could look at the Apostle Paul and say, are you sold out to Christ? And Paul would have an amazing way to prove his devotion. What a badge of apostleship. The question for the false, the Apostle Paul is rolling out right here. Where is your badge of apostleship? Shall I show you the scars of my commendation? Where are your scars, you who would accuse me? If they hated Jesus, they will hate his representatives. I mean, where is the hostility towards your ministry? Where are your enemies? Where are those who wish to devour you? As we looked last week. Where are they? Where is the resentment that is aimed at Christ pointed at you? Verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Okay, this is the Romans. Alright. That's what they did in, in the, by the Philippian jailer. Okay. So five times with lashes. Three times with rods. Now listen. You need to understand something here. This is before he ever wrote the Corinthian letters. This is early in this man's ministry. He still has more ministry to go. Chapter 14, verse 19. 
But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. This is when he's in Leicester. And having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Because five times he was lashed, three times with rods, and he was stoned and left for dead in Leicester. Okay? You know why? Because he was preaching the gospel. It's his only offense. Listen, it's like I said, this again is not a picture of Jewish anger. This is a picture of Gentile anger. They took him out of the city to drop him over an edge and to drop rocks on him to crush the life out of him. How much anger do you have to have to do that? The verb that you see there, supposing him to be dead, it means uh, something that is not true. I've watched people try to tell me that Paul was raised from the dead here. Dorcas was raised from the dead. Right? Eutychus was raised from the dead. Everybody remember Eutychus? Eutychus is my hero. Okay, Eutychus was a young man who was sitting in the window and fell asleep during a message. Fell asleep during a sermon. Fell over and died. What an appropriate punishment. And the Apostle Paul goes and brings him back from the dead. He wakes up and you would never find a more attentive person ever. Right? I don't think there's anything wrong with people dying if they sleep in order during a sermon. None whatsoever. Okay, this is not of Paul. Paul was not raised from the dead. Alright? In chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, remember it says, I don't know where a man was in the body or in the spirit and he went to heaven. Ascended to. That was because he was killed in Lystra. Well, no. That was 14 years earlier. Okay? He was stoned after he had gone to heaven. Alright? He was stoned, but he didn't die. What a pleasant thought, huh? And I mean, he didn't have ibuprofen. Dude, I'd want some serious ibuprofen. Can you bring it to me like in a bucket? And we'll soak it and I'll lay in it. Then it says that he was, three times he was shipwrecked. Okay, I went through Paul's life. See, I'm, I'm a party animal. I went through Paul's life and my conclusions of places that he had to go. He had about 20 voyages. 20 times that he took a boat. Okay. My conclusion is that before 2 Corinthians. All right. He had had nine boat trips. Okay. I can maybe get a tenth if he came from Berea down to Athens by boat or if he walked down the coast. I don't know. But before 2 Corinthians, I know that he had had nine. So there's probably 10 or 11 afterwards. All right. If you want to go look him up and make sure that I'm just not blowing sunshine, you'll see him traveling by boat in Acts 9 and Acts 11 and Acts 13 and Acts 14, Acts 16, 17 and 18. Okay. Just in case you, where did he get that number? I just give you where I got the number. All right. So. 
here's the thing that I'm thinking about. If he's before Second Corinthians, he's had nine boat trips and three of them were wrecks. Hmm. Perhaps you should try walking. Okay? Because I'm thinking you're not having that's that's a third of the time your boat sinks. I don't like those odds. Okay, now listen, this does not include Acts 27. When he's shipwrecked in the Mediterranean and he gets washed up on it and the poisonous snake bites him. That's when the Romans were going to take him up to Rome. And remember, they were all freaking out. And he was downstairs, wasn't bothered by the storm they were in. Why? Dude, you see my looking boat rides? <laughs> Give me a break. This is easy. And it said, an angel of the Lord come told me nobody's going to, we're not going to lose anybody. So that this isn't one of them. All right. So he does close to 20 in his life. Okay. This is just the first part of his ministry, people. This man had to go where he had to go because it was mandated by God, even if he had to go by boat. But he said in one of these boat wrecks, he had to spend a day and a night in the deep. Can you understand what that means? You know how many lifeboats were on the boats that sailed during the time of Paul? Hey, any. They didn't even have a rubber raft. You know that? That meant he spent a day and a night, 24 hours, hanging on to debris. Okay? And this is just the first part of the Apostle Paul's ministry. Because the book of Acts is just an overview. We know that the Apostle Paul endured much. Much. I, I tell you what, somebody stone me and leave me for dead, I'm retiring. Okay? I, you know, I, I just nah, I don't think so. Must be doing it wrong. I remember the first time I ever preached a message, I had people actually stand up in the aisle as I was walking out, cussing me. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I must have missed that one. Okay? Your first message, have people cuss you? Dude, one of us is stupid. <laughs> Listen, this is the marks of the Apostle Paul. This is the marks of a true preacher. This is the mark of a true minister, a true servant. This is the mark of an apostle. He fulfilled the promises that Jesus Christ himself prophesied about his apostles. You will be taken to the synagogues and beaten. Today, and I'm going to wrap it up with this. Today, I hear it described. I think it was R.C. Sproul's made the statement once, and it's, you know how R.C., well, if you don't, don't worry about it, but R.C. has a way with words. And he said, today's hostility towards Christianity is a refined hostility. You're like, refined? What does that mean? I expressed it when I started. Put your Christian radio station on, and when someone comes in to listen to it, to talk to you, turn it on to where there's someone preaching. And watch what happens. I uh, got sucked into a debate down at Western State on evolution versus uh, creation. And they had three professors, and I walked in, and, and uh, daggone it, they set me up like a bowling pin. But anyway, 
I went in and discussed, you know, why I don't believe in billions and trillions and gazillions of whatevers. Okay? You know those three professors were hostile to me when I got done? For one reason, I won the debate. Okay? But the other reason is, I brought truth to bear to their speculation. And what is the spiritual war? Speculations and lofty ideas raised up against the true knowledge of Christ. That is what spiritual warfare is. My question to all of you is this simple thing. Paul says, if you wish to live righteously and walk righteously in this life, you will be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted. Okay, I get people make derogatory remarks about me all the time. I have run into people who have said under times of my ministry right now that will not acknowledge me in a crowd. They act like they don't even know who I am. But they'll talk to my daughter. But they won't talk to me. And I mean, I'm not meeting you away. Why? It's my bubbly personality. <laughs> Every- Everybody knows what it is. You're just too happy. Okay? But if you're going to walk, and you're going to say, thus says the Lord, be ready for refined hostility. Okay? I'm going to close with this thought. Question to each and every one of you. Have we really understood the price of ministry. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing things that you have done. Father, I thank you for Paul. I thank you for the time that you've allowed me to spend with him. And Father, going through the book of Acts and looking his life just unfold. And then knowing the letter to Philippians and Thessalonians. Oh, Lord, what an amazing man. Father, may it be the passion and the zeal of each and every one of us to walk as Paul. Father, understanding there's a heavy price. The hostility is growing. It will get worse. You have already promised us that. But Father, you said your grace is sufficient. When we are weak, you are strong. Father, may we rest full weight upon that. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.